do keep that uh, passage open in front of you. And uh, there we are, talk notes as well, if you'd like to see where we're going and want to make some notes. Let's pray again. Father, uh, echo Stella's prayer from earlier, but pray that you would please help us to hear you this morning, help us to hear your voice. Please again show us, Lord Jesus, so clearly that we would uh, know who he is, respond to him rightly. Please be at work in our, not only our heads, but our hearts and our lives too. In Jesus' name, amen. When things don't meet our expectations, it can be a bit disturbing. So maybe you bought something online, and then when it arrives, it just isn't completely what you weren't expecting. Or maybe you've been eagerly awaiting uh, the new release of a film, and it finally comes out and you watch it, and it just wasn't what you were expecting. That can be a bit annoying, can't it? And maybe you, know, you, like, you move jobs. You saw a new job, had a great job spec, you went to the interviews, they said all the right things, you thought, this sounds great, and then you moved there, and it just isn't what you were expecting. But what about when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations? What about when he isn't quite what we were expecting him to be? How are we going to respond in those times, in those moments? Well, there's plenty for us to learn from this passage today. After uh, the healing of the centurion's servants and the raising of the widow's son that we saw last week, the reports of Jesus started to spread far and wide. And now here in these verses today, we're reacquainted with John the Baptist. Uh, John, who had previously preached so persuasively to the people for the need to repent, that Ray drew out in our children's talk so, so clearly, but when John preached that too, the, the crowds responded and many were baptized by him as a sign, an outward sign of that internal repentance. But John is now in prison. Okay, so Herod, who was the, kind of the, the lead, the official of Galilee, he didn't like being told by John that his relationship shenanigans weren't right, and so he put him in prison. But John, too, hears what Jesus has been doing, and so he sends two of his disciples to Jesus with a question. And the question comes twice. And this introduces the first points. The first half of what we're looking at today is when Jesus isn't what we expect... Look at who he is and what he did. So that's our big, first big point. When Jesus isn't what we expect, look at who he is and what he did. So here's the question. It comes twice, once in verse 19 and once in verse 20. John asked his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Are you the one who is to come? Are you the, the Messiah, the Christ? The, the, the one that God had promised, the king who's going to come to save his people. Are you the one? Now that is actually an astonishing thing for John the Baptist to ask. We've already said, haven't we, how he actually witnessed um, uh, so persuasively to Jesus. Uh, so my phone stopped um, working there, Steve. So could you go to the next slide, please? Uh, but even from his womb, G, uh, John the Baptist was witnessing to John. So you can see there from um, there that when Elizabeth, that's John's mum, uh, heard the greeting of Mary, Jesus' mum, the baby leaped in her the baby leaped in her womb. Even from the womb, John's going, "Whoa, this is the Lord, this is the Christ." And then the next one, please, as well. 
And then Jesus, uh, John, when he baptized Jesus, he saw this firsthand. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. John saw that himself. And we know from John's gospel that when John saw Jesus, he said to everyone around, behold, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now John is asking, are you the one? Or should we look for somebody else? Now, some commentators can't quite believe it, and they kind of say that, oh, no, John, John was certain, but he was doing this for the benefit of his disciples. But there's, there's nothing in this passage to suggest this is anyone, anything other than John's question. Why? Well, why does he have this sudden doubt as to who Jesus is? Now, we do need to be careful. We, we, we've got to be careful not to kind of psychoanalyze from the distance of 2,000 years okay, and trying to work out exactly what's going on. But there are two things that we do know about John that may give us a clue as to why he suddenly doesn't seem so sure. Number one, he's in prison. John is in prison. And perhaps, perhaps he is wondering, look, what am I still doing here? So there may have been that sense of kind of personal disappointment. Jesus, if you're the Christ, what am I still doing here in prison? Why haven't you done something about it? Particularly when we link that with the second thing we know, maybe that sharpens that a bit for us. Because the second thing we know is what he has said about Jesus in the past. So what has, Jesus said, what has John said about Jesus in the past? Uh, could I have the next slide if there... Thank you. So back in chapter 3, great, oh, that's working now. Back in chapter 3, uh, this is what John said. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who, is, he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So what John is saying there in poetical terms is, the one who is coming after me, he is going to do great acts of judgment. There's going to be this reaping, this threshing. And so when we see these, these two things together, he's in prison, and when the one coming, the one that John has said is coming is going to one who's going to do these great acts of judgment, you can maybe see kind of, well, what's going on here? So, look, yes, when John hears of a centurion's servant being healed, and when he hears the raising of a widow's son, look, he's not against those things. But where's all the important stuff? Where's the overturning of the corrupt religious establishment, the Pharisees? Where's the overthrowing of the oppressive invaders, the Romans? Where's the abolishing of the evil ro- rulers, like Herod, who's put me in prison? Where are all these things? It seems to be that Jesus isn't meeting John's expectations. And so it's causing him to, to doubt. Are you the one? Or are we to look to another? And Christians, Christians can have doubts. For some, that will be an ongoing thing through their Christian life. For others, it will be something that comes on suddenly and is a, a thing for a while and then will go away again. 
But if you're having kind of questions, you know, is this really real? Did Jesus really do all these things? Do I need saving from anything? And if I do, is he the one who, who can do it? And if you're having those questions and then you're starting to think, well, I definitely can't be a real Christian if I'm, if I'm having these kind of questions. Well, just note that John the Baptist did. And indeed, the whole book of Luke is written to give us certainty. The implication is we need help to be certain in these things. When Jesus isn't meeting, John, sorry, Jesus isn't meeting John's expectations, that seems to be causing him to doubt. And I wonder if that isn't also the, often the cause of doubts that we may have. That there are all kinds of reasons why Jesus might not meet our expectations. Maybe there's a whole load of painful stuff going on in your life. And you've prayed lots, and yet he doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Surely a saviour who cares is, is going to help me in these situations. Maybe it's the fact that he doesn't just deal decisively with evil. You see what's going on in the news, Jesus. Why haven't you stepped in and overthrown all these things? It tells me to love my enemies and be forgiving. Sound like a, a saviour I, I want much to do with. He comes for sinners and tax collectors, not good people like me. He doesn't save everyone. You know, this loving Savior only save everyone, particularly my loved one who I love so much, I pray for, why doesn't he save them? Sometimes when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, it can cause us to doubt. And there is nothing, as it were, wrong with the doubts themselves. It is how we respond to them that is the important thing. John brings his doubts to Jesus. I would say that is a great thing to do. John brings his doubts to Jesus. He comes with his question to him. Is Jesus the Christ, the saviour, the hope of salvation? John's disciples have asked the question, and Jesus doesn't simply say, yes, I'm the one. Go back and tell him. In fact, we're not told what he says uh, by way of immediate response. But effectively what he says, he says, look at me, Look at who I am. Look at what I'm doing. Come on, have a look and see. So verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he goes on, uh, finally now speaking, verse 22. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. These things, particularly in verse 2, this is a kind of catalogue of things taken from Isaiah that the Messiah would do. All these things that the prophet Isaiah predicted the Messiah would come and do, and Jesus says, look, disciples, you, you see me do these things. You see me cure and heal and raise and preach. Go back to John and, and tell him those things. That's exactly what I'm doing. Have no doubt I am the one. And it's interesting that the, the very things that made Jesus, sorry, that made John unsure were actually the very things that showed that Jesus was the Messiah. 
John Wick got focused here on the judgment things, but the, the fact that he was curing and healing and, and raising and doing all those things was the very proof that he is indeed the Messiah. The judgment stuff that John had spoken of, well, John wasn't wrong about those things. He was just wrong about when he would do it. So in John's mind, he had this, look, with Jesus coming was going to result in judgment. That was when it was going to be. But actually, those things are Jesus' second coming. When he comes back, that's when those things are going to happen. His first coming is a time for mercy and for good news. And in fact, Jesus' plan was going to get far more confusing and disappointing, particularly for his disciples, Jesus' disciples. Going forward, Jesus would end up being crucified on a Roman cross. And again, how that makes many unsure. What kind of saviour or king is going to die? Surely that's the end. That's weak. But no, might not have met their expectations. But that's exactly what shows us that Jesus is the Christ. The fact that he would go to the cross to die in the place of his people and then rise again three days later, victorious over the grave. And then in verse 23, Jesus finishes his response to the disciples, said this, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus here again is alluding to Isaiah, and he's saying, look, look at who I am, look at what I'm doing, and don't take offense. Don't be offended by me, don't stumble over me, don't trip over me. Because even when Jesus comes to bring salvation, some people are going to stumble on him. Some people won't like the fact that they're being told that they need a saviour. Others might stumble because he doesn't meet their expectations. But look, see who I am, Jesus says. See what I'm doing. Know that I am the one. Don't be offended by me. But the thing, the thing we must do when we're wondering, is Jesus really the saviour God that he's promised? Well, look, look at who he is. Look at what he did. And this is the case if you're a Christian, uh, but having some of those doubts, or whether you're looking into Christian things, perhaps even for the first time, you wanted to know what's all this about Jesus? Can he be the one who can be trusted? Same thing to do is look at who he is and what he did. Luke has recounted miracle after miracle after miracle showing Jesus' authority. And on the basis of the evidence there, there's one obvious conclusion that we could come to. that No one could do these things but Jesus alone, but God alone. So take to your Bibles. Again, if you're having these questions, just take an hour. Sit quietly with one of the Gospels and read, pray, ask God to show you again who Jesus really is. If you're not a Christian and you're looking into these things, at church we love to do one-to-ones, which is you looking at the Bible with, another Christian, with a Christian, because in that environment you can ask those questions and we can go at your pace. So if you'd like to do that, please do speak to me. And don't drift away from things. If you're having those doubts from Sunday and from Connect. And going towards those things, asking those questions. Look at who he is and what he did.
So that's the first, first point. When Jesus isn't what we expect, look at who he is and what he did. Secondly, when Jesus isn't what we want, stop looking for anyone else. So, so if the first, the first point was that when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations and we may have doubts, what do we do? Well, the second section is more when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations and we don't like it, what do we do? So with, G- with John's disciples on their way back, um, Jesus then turns to the crowd and spoke to them about John. And he asked the same question three times. See it there in verse 24, verse 25, 26. He said to the crowds, what did you go into the wilderness to see? Okay, John the Baptist, he'd done his ministry in the wilderness, in the desert. And so, so popular that flocks and flocks and flocks of people would go, went out to him. And he said, look, when you went out there, why did you go? What did you go out there to see? And he fleshes out, Jesus fleshes out the... Um, his question. So verse 24, first of all, what did you go and see? A reed shaken by the wind. Now that seems to be kind of suggest- like someone weak, someone just get blown about. Verse 25, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. And behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing live in luxury in the king's courts. Did you go to see someone who was living the high life and the high luxury? No, that's not John out there. Verse 26, what then did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. You went out to the wilderness to see John because he was a prophet, but more than a prophet. So so John wasn't a popular preacher because he told the people what they wanted to hear, being blown around, or it wasn't because he lived the lifestyle of the rich and famous. He was... It's because he was a prophet who was getting them ready for someone even greater than him. So John the Baptist had this unique role. So he's quoting um, Malachi now in verse 27. He says, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. You see, John's role was to get the people ready for the Lord himself. And because of that remarkable privilege that John had, see what he says in verse 28? I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. None. We all love a good top 10 list. I found a website this week, top 10s. And you just look at top 10s for every, anything you like. If there's a top 10 prophet list, John would be the very top. They think, hey, hang on a second, what about Moses and... Uh, the reason, it wasn't because of any particular characteristic of himself. The reason why he's at the top of the top ten list of prophets is because of his unique position in relationship to Jesus. He was the last of the great Old Testament prophets. You see, the point is that if John is the one who fulfills verse 27, if John is the one who's preparing the way for the Lord... Well, then, Jesus is the Lord. And I say it wasn't because of any personal characteristic. It it was because of the privilege of his role. See, all the other prophets, they spoke but looking from a distance. Jesus looked with his eyes. Sorry, John looked with his eyes at Jesus.
But here John, sorry, Jesus, I'm getting my J's the wrong way around, sorry, uh, bear with me. But here Jesus then turns things around. So let's read verse 8 in its entirety this time. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Wow. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You see, John is just getting people ready for Jesus. His is the time of promise. So if you kind of think, uh, kind of timeline, as it were. So this is the, the time of the promise. And in the time of the promise, all those lines, these are different prophets. These are all the people saying the Messiah's coming, the, the, the one's coming, he's coming. They're all, this is the time of the promise. But with the arrival of John, the big down the bottom, and with, therefore, the arrival of the Lord, Jesus, the time of fulfillment has arrived. That is why the people who are in the kingdom are greater than even John, because it's a time of fulfillment. Now, that's not saying that, that John wasn't saved. It's not saying he's not in heaven now. But the point of it is saying it's to show how great it is to be in the kingdom of God. Of all of those great privileges that all those prophets enjoyed and that John himself enjoyed, they're not as great as the privileges that Christians enjoy. In that relationship with the Lord Jesus, having the Holy Spirit dwell in us. I think it can be sometimes hard for us to you know, think like how great it would have been to, to live in the, the eras of the great prophets, you know, to have crossed the Red Sea with Moses. Pretty amazing. To have been with Elijah on Mount Carmel as he pulled out and fire rained down from heaven. But here, actually, Jesus is making the point that being in his kingdom is greater than any of those um, blessings that they experienced. So here, Jesus confirms his identity by confirming John's identity. He is that great prophet. I am the Lord who comes after him. Uh, and then we get this summary of responses in verse 29 and 30. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptised with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptised by him. So we get the response, and it's not what we'd expect, at least not if we haven't been following the Gospels thus far. You get that the crowds and the tax collectors, the very worst of the people, they embrace what they hear. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the, the, the lawyers, they reject the purposes of God because they hadn't been baptised by John. They rejected him too. And then these responses prompt Jesus to, to comment on the, the, the people as a whole. Have a look down at verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. Now, a bit confusing that. What seems to be here is this is a bit like a kind of playground song. And it's the kind of thing that set children would say to other children. is basically saying, look, when we played you um, the, the flute, when we played you the happy music, you refused to dance and have fun with us. And then when we played the dirge, the sad music, well, you 
uh, refused to weep with us. Whatever we wanted to do, you weren't happy with it. And this seems that this, well, not, this is what Jesus is saying here to the people. Look, whatever it came, whether it was... Well, no, let's read, rather than me trying to explain it. Let's read. Verse 33. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The people weren't happy. Okay, when you had John come along preaching repentance, taking sin seriously, you've got to repent from your sins, they didn't like it. And then when Jesus came along saying, here's grace, here's mercy, come to me and, and I will forgive you, they didn't like that either. And so they mockingly use that term, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And you see, for many of the people back then, Jesus didn't meet their expectations and they didn't like it. They didn't like it. Their rejection didn't have to do with a lack of evidence. It had everything with a refusal to repent. They wouldn't repent when John came calling to it uh, at the series of sin, and they wouldn't repent when Jesus came calling, um, offering grace and mercy. And I think that for us today too, when Jesus isn't what we expect, when Jesus doesn't come and sort out all my problems like I want him to, when Jesus doesn't overthrow throw all evil like I want him to do, and so on and so on, when he doesn't do those things, if we keep trying to find another saviour, if we keep looking somewhere else, well, then you'll never be saved at all. See, when Jesus isn't what we necessarily want, there is nowhere else to turn. Jesus is the one. John prepared the people for him. And though the people might reject John and reject Jesus, Jesus is this one. And what those people used as a, a derogatory term, we know to be wonderfully true that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So when Jesus isn't what we expect, how will we respond? Will we, we look at Jesus? Will we look at the evidence? Or will we stick to our preconceived ideas of who we think Jesus should be? And again, I want to actually commend John's question. It is a great question for us, for us to ask. Are you the one? Or shall we look for another? Are you the one? And can I encourage you, if you're not yet a Christian, don't look any further. He is the one. And if you're a Christian, don't doubt he is the one. Cling to him. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for our, the Lord Jesus and pray that our minds would be, our thoughts of him would be shaped by what your word reveals. Please, Father Woods, we see the evidence of him over what our own preconceptions might be. Thank you that he is friend of sinners. Thank you that is a wonderful thing. Please would we know him, love him and walk with him. In Jesus' name, amen.